Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape during week 71 of quarantine from my eight-year-old son's bedroom in rapidly gentrifying Culver City adjacent California, boasting an obstructed view of the 10 freeway. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. If you spent as much time in video stores and watched as much late-night cable as I did in the 80s and early 90s, my first guest this week needs no introduction. According to Playboy magazine, the sexiest scream queen of all time, star of over 200 films, including the just-released The Good Things Devils Do. Hello and welcome, Linnea Quigley. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate that. I think um, because I'm so hot, I was um, (laughs) responsible for this heat wave we had here in California. (laughs) You may have started it all by yourself. I did it all by myself. Yeah, I don't think you want to take credit for the wildfires across the street, but it is. I apologize. I'm I'm already sweating. I'm not kidding. I'm in my son's bedroom, and if I turn on the AC or the fan, it makes noise. So I apologize, uh, and maybe you're making me sweat. Oh, that's it. That's it. All my heat. So tell me something. When you were filming the iconic Night of the Demons, what would you have said if I had told you 30 years later you would be in another movie that would start off with an homage to your, well, one of your famous scenes, uh, the one from the convenience store? How crazy is that? That is really crazy. When we did that film, we never thought, you know, anybody would see it or remember it. But you're right. 30 years later, they're doing homage to it, you know, with... The good things devils do. That's right. Now somebody else is bending over and waving their undies around for a calculated distraction. Thank God, huh? So that movie, I, I realized, I'm rewatching a bunch of your stuff in the week leading up to this Night of the Demons I'm referring to. I think that may have been my introduction to, like, the surreal. Because, you know, you watch these movies for, you know, good-looking ladies and some scary stuff and some gore. And there's the scene, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, where you're drawing on yourself, you're possessed, and you're drawing on yourself with lipstick. And then you the lipstick disappears inside your breast. And I remember being, ve- being very confused confused 12 or 13 year old boy trying to make sense of what I was supposed to do with that information. I still don't even understand how did I want rewatch it. How did you make the lipstick disappear? Oh, I made it disappear through effects magic. I, um, I had like a, it was like a gelatin mold of my ah. breasts over my breasts. They like taped mine down and they did a hell of a job. I believed it. I fell for it. 12-year-old me fell for it, and sadly, so did 43-year-old me. They did a mold of my breasts, and then they strapped me down. They made this gelatin mold, and then they blended the edges as they put it over me. Then they pre-cut a hole by the nipple, and I had to hit that hole with the lipstick and push it in. Well, you nailed it. Yay! The current movie, The Good Things Devils Do, has an all-star cast of legends like yourself of 80s and 90s horror. How did this movie come together? How did this cast come together? Well, Jess was just really smart about people that he wanted, and I know he was sweating on a couple parts, and he got them. And from what I heard, he like had wanted to work with certain people when he was talking, when he was a lot younger. Not that he's old now, but you know, when he was like a kid 
and said, I'm going to work with so-and-so and so-and-so. And he ended up doing it. So I think he just put out to the universe who he wanted and it happened. I hope, was it a fun experience making this movie? I, I gather looking through clips and interviews from your career that it's been a little bit of a mixed bag, the way that you felt about some of the movies that you've done in your career at certain parts. Was this one fun? This one was a lot of fun. Jess made it fun. Kelly made it fun. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun to do. I was very cold and bloody and everything, but it made it fun, you know, to to work with them. I was trying to get my hands on a copy of your memoir. I failed to come up with it in time, which what a title you've got for that. I'm screaming as fast as I can. That is the perfect name for a Linnea Quigley memoir. I have some questions based on things I've read about the book. So I apologize. I mean, I'm getting all this information secondhand. Hopefully I have my facts straight. Well, just for starters, before I even get into that, do you like horror movies? Did you like horror movies when the horror genre came calling for you? Oh, yeah. I grew up watching horror films when I was a kid, the ones like Murder in the Room Morgue, uh, then it went to Night of the Living Dead, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Twilight Zone. I loved horror films a lot. And how many of the ones that you were in do did you like as you were doing them? How many of the movies that you've been in do you ever care to go back and rewatch? I don't I don't like to watch myself. I have a really hard time and it it's hard to disassociate like what I saw and I know what the script is and I know I'm in it and I know the people. So it's hard for me to watch it and have like a, an opinion. I have to go through other people and say, Oh, how is this movie? Okay. And what do you hear are the more memorable things that, that you've done? If you don't really have an opinion about the, the best of your stuff, what, what do you feel like is the feedback you get? I get feedback, Return of the Living Dead, of course, yeah, sure. Night of the Demons, uh -huh. 40 Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. Of course. Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. <laughs> uh, let me think. Oh, my God. Those are the basic ones that people will mention. Well, you've already mentioned having a prosthetic breast in Night of the Demons. Was there also some sort of mold involved with filming Return of the Living Dead? Oh, my gosh, yes. What's that uh, about? A very embarrassing mold. It was uh, a mold of oh how do you it was like a barbie appliance a that like they put over the so there wasn't frontal nudity oh. so they had to like it was like a g-string kind of thing but they they um instead of like just wearing it they had to glue it on because i was moving around a lot so it was like i call it the barbie doll appliance oh i get it right so you while you're waiting for your friend with your friends, naturally you decide to kill some time in a cemetery, and naturally you decide to rip off all your clothes and, and start dancing, and you needed to be concealed to keep it to a mere R rating. Exactly. And I heard you do the same thing a lot of times, go out to the cemetery and yeah, but tear your clothes off. I do, but I dance au natural when I'm out there. Oh, good. So you don't need a piece or anything. That's good. Yeah, exactly. No prosthetics for me, thanks. You were, you were pretty ripped. In, in in that scene and in many other ones, you have like guns. You still kind of have guns. What's your like? What sort of exercise routine do you have? Oh, thank you. I like hardcore Pilates. 
I love that. It's really good. Really, really good. I had a good teacher. I feel like it adds to, uh, frankly, I think it's a part of your success. A, a lot of times there's like the strong female leads in horror movies. People think of Jamie Lee Curtis, but too often the cliche is and was, you know, these pretty little things that just ran away screaming and got killed. You've always come across with a sort of a physical toughness, which I think, uh, frankly, is part of the secret of your success. You seem like you can fight an imp in uh, a bowling alley if push came to shove well thank you i really like that because i think playing the the nice girl the sweet girl the victim all the time i don't like it at all and i've like kind of stayed away from those parts it's very boring as an actor and as a person too sure just boring and it's much more fun and i think more people enjoy when you're you can take care of yourself yeah agreed absolutely i rewatched as i said it was a lot of fun doing research to talk to you today i rewatched uh part of sorority babes in the slime ball bolarama i've seen it many times just needed to refresh my memory and you kind of can't help when you look at things through 2020 eyes to see mid-80s stuff differently there's like the the classic unfortunate 80s trope of the guys who are peeping toms played for laughs and you know women are treated as objects of you know wishes from a, a genie kind of character i'm curious what did you think at the time of playing a you know female characters in an era and a genre with so much misogyny and sexism and what what was the conversation like about that sort of stuff among you and your female co-stars we really didn't discuss it because at that time, that's how things were. They would sell the movie on how many breasts you saw, uh, how sexy it was, how many deaths there were, how much blood there was. So we really, it wasn't really a big deal. Now it is. It's a lot more big of a deal where you don't do that kind of stuff. Right. I, I understand, again, in your memoir, you talk about even getting pawed by extras on sets of movies. Is that a thing that would really happen then? Well, not. it wasn't like pawed. I was scared they would get overzealous. Oh, okay. Because extras, which I'm doing a documentary about. Oh, you are? Uh, yeah, I'm doing a, a documentary about extras because they just are a really different batch of people. Okay. They're really interesting to me. Well, tell me about that. I don't know anything about extras. I've known one or two extras who struck me as normal people, but I don't know that they were hardcore extras. Well, there's the normal ones that are doing it because they want to get somewhere, but then there's the ones that just want attention and they're not talented and they're always trying to get in front of the camera and causing problems and getting in trouble and banned from sets. So... I like to watch the extras in movies a lot of times because, you know, some of them, I mean, they, they come up and they'll say, oh, I was in The Walking Dead and I am, you know, I'm going to be hated. And then you watch it and they're not even in it. They might be an extra or something. It's just really bizarre. Okay. So where do you stand with that documentary right now? How far are you into that? It's just being edited right now by Todd Sheets, who... Oh. Um, who did a lot of movies. He's a, a big director in, in the B movies. Okay. I'm, I, I gather you're keeping busy in, on a number of different fronts. Do you do tarot card readings? Yeah, I do. Okay. Now I, 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 I will. I one the other day. I'll confess to being a bit of a, a tarot card skeptic. Can you change my mind? 
I'm sure I can. <laughs> why, 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 Tara? Why do you think the that that is the proper avenue for divining, you know, the currents of your life and possibly the future? It's not really the cards. Uh, I've been doing it since I was a kid because my mom did it, and it's not really the cards. It's really a psychic connection to the person, mm-hmm. and you just use the cards as a medium a safe medium because if you just sit there and tell people stuff it's very odd okay what's the most um unusual thing that has come up in giving a tarot card reading probably that somebody's boyfriend liked hairy arms and i saw that that was just weird it was like too much information did the person you were talking to have hairy arms kind of yeah well that's great it, it, it beats a bare-armed person you know being in a relationship that could never work yeah, really. That was, that's right. So she was in the right relationship. Hey, I'm I'm curious. I'm so fascinated with 1980s Hollywood and 1980s Los Angeles. I don't know if you're a person who goes out to clubs or you ever were that kind of person. But like, where was your spot, and where was like B horror spot in the social scene of of Hollywood? You're obviously not an A list movie star, but you're also you are a, a celebrity. What sort of things did you get up to? What sort of like clubs did you hang out with? Did you rub shoulders rub shoulders with other oh, well known people? Not really. I I really kind of stay away from that. But when I was like sixteen, seventeen. I hung out at a club on Sunset called Gazaris and did dance contests. Sure. Oh my God, that yep. was like crazy. Wait, you entered a, a dance contest? So this would have been uh, right around seven or something. You just around the just after the Van Halen heyday of Gazaris. Exactly. I saw them when they weren't known at the Whiskey. I remember, and I could not stand. Um, what's his name? The lead singer. Um, Oh, good for you. Let's not remember his name. No, yeah, David I, Lee I don't like him. I didn't, I thought he was really creepy, and all these girls were like, "Oh, you know, wow!" But I wasn't really like. I didn't think they were that good. But I hung out the <laughs> rainbow. I went to the rainbow, and and it was so funny because everybody thought they were a rock star and would put on English accents. It was it was a it was funny. So you're local. You're you're native enough to Los Angeles. I'm not native. I came here at 16 from Iowa. Whoa. So it was, oh, wow. It was like Sunset Boulevard was like a big wow to me. I was very naive. That sounds pretty young to come to Los Angeles. Is that even like legal? Was that with your parents' blessing? Oh, my parents came out. My dad took over a chiropractic college as president, and I followed because I didn't like Iowa. I didn't want to be there. Not that I wanted to be an actress, Mm -hmm. Because I never thought I could, but I wanted to go to someplace cool. Yeah, uh, that only makes that only makes sense to a sixteen-year-old. I think Los Angeles beats Iowa every single time. So you ended up at at at, at the Jack Lalanes, right? Yeah, I did at the Jack Lalanes House Spa. That was my first job when I got here. Was that like his spa? Would you have seen the actual Jack Lalane walking around there? He came in a couple times to do signings, and I was so impressed because when i grew up as a kid my mom used to exercise to him Mm -hmm. and i remember he'd have his dogs happy and i forget the other dog's name the white german shepherds on and and you know he'd do exercise and so it was like a big thrill for me to meet him i knew who he was and then how did the segue from that into film happening i understand there was a a a role that 
was supposed to happen or didn't quite happen as planned in American Gigolo? Yes. That was after I'd been in it a while and I was Screen Actors Guild at the time. I'm financial core now, but at the time I got hired by Jerry Bruckenheimer to be in American Gigolo. And I went on set and they kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And finally they shot it really quick. And I guess the camera, it was like a panning shot and it didn't work out. So I got paid for it and I still get residuals, but I wasn't in it. How, what do you think is the most movies you ever did in one year? Is, is 200 movies, is, is that real? Because I saw Nicolas Cage is like trying to get to 150 and it seems like he does 10 a year. And you've done way more than that. Yeah, I, you know, a lot of them are really small parts or something, you know, like a day or something. But um, I don't know. I never counted the most. I would say, I'm guessing 12 a year. Is it true that you at one point left the film industry somewhere in the 80s? Wow, you know your stuff. Yes, I did. I wanted to get out of it. And I was like just tired of it and I wanted to become a police officer at LAPD and I almost did. I, I passed everything. It took a year because they had to do the background, which was very hysterical. Why is that? Because they had to see every movie and everything. They had to see my Playboy thing. And when they like do a, it's not the background because that takes forever, but the, like when they talk to you about, you know, Hollywood and stuff like that when they were, they wanted me to say I did drugs. And it was so funny because the guy was just insisting, I, I'm sure you tried it. And when I came out, he was talking to the older, um, older guy in there. And he said, oh, she does these B movies where they masturbate and stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't. And the older guy was like, no, they don't. He was just a weird, you know, like, like wanted to get me, you know? So did you honestly not ever dabble in drugs? Oh, I can't say that. <laughs> but the police I didn't can't need say to know that. that. I think everybody, well, almost everybody dabbled in it. But I don't I don't now, but it it was just the thing to do then. Of course, of course, of course. It's always the thing to do at a certain stage in 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 your life. I can't think of an era where that wasn't a thing to do. You know, it's, it's something you're supposed to get into and then you're supposed to get out of it. And it sounds like you did both, which is the way it's supposed to be. Exactly. So um, I have a, a couple more things to ask you about. Well, uh, above all else, I wanted to ask you, supposedly a long overdue sequel is in the works for Sorority Girls at the Slimeball Bolarama? I don't know. That's been in the works for about a year or more, mm -hmm. and nobody has asked me. They said, you're in it. I've heard from Michelle and Brink, but nobody has said, oh, Linnea, do you want to do this? Or we're going to do this. It was just announced. Yeah, well, I guess the whole world has kind of gotten sidetracked. Maybe that's got something to do with it. That that could be. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. I just did my own production where I directed, produced, um, was in, did craft service, almost everything from um, an eight-episodic show called Zombie Games. Okay. And that is on my channel right now, which it's from the UK, but it's on YouTube, which is Dragon Flix, F-L-I-X dot biz, B-I-Z. 
They have a, I have a reality show there. I have a talking about movies show there. And then Zombie Games is being edited right now in the UK. Tell me more about your craft services, Linnea. Oh my gosh. You have to feed like a lot of hungry people. The first day they don't want to eat anything, but the most important thing is you have donuts. Okay. You have peanut butter crackers, popcorn. Then you have the main things like pasta salad and uh, what else did they eat? I'm trying to think. Oh, dip and, and all that. But the most important thing is to have donuts. Okay, duly noted. Uh, anything else on the way from you? It seems like you're very, very busy. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, my God, there's a lot. I do Cameo where I do shout-outs to people. Mm -hmm. I do... Um, do you have creepy fans? It seems like horror people, unfortunately. Most, most of the fans are great, but there's always going to be some weird ones, right? I haven't met too many weird ones. They're like me. They love animals. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are, you know, vegan like me. Uh, a lot of them have really soft hearts. You know, you'll see somebody all tattooed and, and loving the bloodier, you know, movies, and then they'll be like, don't hurt an animal in it or I'm walking out. I get that. You know, I'm around a lot of heavy metal people, and it almost just seems like it's that's like their healthy way of working out the creepiness as a hobby, and, 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 and it actually keeps their normal walking around day-to-day -day life far more pure than many of the rest of us. No, you're right. It keeps you grounded, I think. Yeah, I think it keeps you more grounded because also it's like animals don't care what you are or how you look. That's right. Yeah, you know, where like, you know, other people make assumptions about how you're dressed or what you do. So animals don't. Right. I don't have animals, but I have a two year old, which is essentially the same thing. Oh, my gosh. Two? Oh, my God. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. She has absolutely no idea. If I've just done the most amazing thing or just embarrassed myself horribly, as long as I put on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, she <laughs> makes no distinction whatsoever. Oh, that's so cute. I have 14 dogs and three cats because I have a rescue. Yeah. I have oh, wow. Okay. Okay. My Moulin Rouge rescue. So that keeps me really busy too because I do it myself. Yeah. So you're doing craft services for animals on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, I buy in bulk, that's for sure. And big containers and things like that. Let me let you get back to your animals. I've kept you long enough. I've really appreciated this opportunity to get to chat with you a little bit. Linnea Quigley will remind everybody your most recent motion picture is called The Good Things Devils Do. It is streaming now. Thank you so much. Oh, also, hopefully they'll watch. On the 18th, I'm doing a live Zoom thing with Return of the Living Dead. Oh, okay, wait, tell me about that. Okay, it's, um, they're, they're going to play the movie, and people buy, like, tickets. They're not very expensive, or donate to the Moulin Rouge, and they can watch Return of the Living Dead with me. And also, Beverly, who plays Tina in it, is going to be there, too. Okay, that's really, really cool. That's fun. I'm glad we got to, uh, to let everybody know about that. Thank you, Linnea. Okay, you too. Bye. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, direct from Denmark, the award-winning documentarian behind many films, including the G.G. Allen documentary, The Allens, All in the Family. Hello and welcome, Sami Saif. Hello and thank you. Thank you for making time to be with me. I understand you are in the midst of another production. What are you working on right now? Uh, I'm working on a, on a pretty strange film about grief. Without giving too much away, how, how are you getting at that with film? 
I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it will be a uh, it will be a, a a very slow film. We often have this inner dialogue with ourselves, you know, when we go through the day. Um, and so, so it'll be a film where this inner dialogue will be uh, will be what we hear in the film, from from you know from 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 all these scientists and all these people. So it's more like a, you could say the 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 the, the, the personal view of all these people involved in this uh, science project. Uh, so we hear their inner thoughts. I mean, it sounds strange, but. Uh, it probably will work out, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I look forward to, to seeing that. I have faith in you. Yeah, thank you. So I recently, I don't know why, no, no real impetus got to thinking about Gigi Allen. Uh, when I first got into music, when I discovered music and started playing guitar in my preteen years, he was still alive, he was still performing, and yeah. he was this legend. He was this legendary figure in my local newspaper, which was known as the... I grew up in the state of New Jersey. It was called the East Coast Rocker. Yeah. They were obsessed with Gigi Allen. And then, <laughs> you know, awesome. I saw... This is... This is pre-internet, so I saw some random home video footage yeah, along too. the way. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Too, yeah. And he was presented to the world, and in certain ways he was the logical endpoint for a certain strain of punk rock that happened. In, that started in the 1970s, had always been pointing towards a Gigi Allen yeah. figure. You know, he famously promised to kill himself on stage every Halloween for years running. The East Coast Rocker was always disappointed. They couldn't even disguise it when <laughs> know, he did not. I know. <laughs> he, <laughs> Famously had a tour in which every single show ended with him either in jail or in the hospital. Yep. Famously would get naked, smear himself with his own feces. Yeah. The only performer I've ever seen who, when he ran towards his crowd, his crowd ran away. And if he caught up with them, he would frequently get into to fist fights with him. Yeah. So I decided I wanted to fill out my knowledge about him. And that quickly led me to your documentary, yeah. which focuses on Gigi, of course. But um, the twist, because there already had been the Todd Phillips documentary in the 90s. It's yeah. not just about Gigi Allen. It's also about his brother, Merle, who's yeah. still around, carrying on the legacy and performing. And even more so on um, on their mother, Arlita. Yeah. Growing up, as you did in Europe, where Gigi Allen never performed and could never have performed because he never would have gotten, as it says in the documentary, could have couldn't have even gotten a, a passport yeah, or a work yeah. visa. How did you first become aware of him? Oh, uh, when I was a, a kid, we were skating, we listened to the, the, the early hip-hop. And uh, one of the kids ha had uh, this... Uh, I guess it was VHS or maybe a, a Beta. I, I don't know, uh, but 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 we saw him uh, a live show, and um, I mean we just connected with that um, with that craziness, and uh, and and the music was awesome. I mean it was awesome. So it, it was like he just became part of our musical world by skating, you know. So um, so that's it. So. Would you say that you are actually a fan of Gigi Allen's music? Because I think far more people are attracted to the phenomenon than actually connect with the musical output. I am, because what, what, what happened was, uh, in, uh, you, you know, when I got the idea of making the documentary, I, I started really to listen to a lot of the music. And um, I am, I think he was a very, very good musician. And, uh, but I think actually that... Um, you know his his performance like like shadowed the music, um, but but yeah, I I I totally like his music. I do. 
it's obviously um it, no his his mother the documentary came out in 2017 i think she has since passed away yes yeah is that correct yeah were you in contact at all with uh, with merle with the family upon her passing uh i talked with the i i, I didn't know but i got an email from um Merle's uh, former girlfriend. She's also in the film. So I got it from her, and I uh, I wrote to Merle, and uh, you know, I just because Merle he likes to short emails, so I just shortly wrote to him, hey, if there's anything I can do, uh, you know. But um, and then I talked with him later after it happened. But of course, he got a, a big shock. I mean, now he lost the mother also. Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So the mother Arlita was resistant. I gather you were not the the first person who had approached her about making a documentary. Yeah, many people had <laughs> had contact. So yeah. Why do you think she chose to work with you? What was the process of winning her over? How long did that take? <sighs> I went over there just and and I met Merle, and then I went to to Arlita, and I I was together with her for two days. And uh, and what I realized was that um, she, because I said I'm interested in your story, and she said, I don't think so. You you just want to show the film with the Kevin where he does all these bad things. So it took some time, you know, to to, to say no. I'm really interested in your story, and and then and then at one point she said, but but do you mean it? Do you mean it? And then I said, yeah, I do. And then we start talking and. Um, and you know, she were like, uh, I think what was very important for Alita was that um, her son, uh, that that her son also, uh, that Gigi Allen also be became Kevin. That was very important for her, you know, to 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 see uh, her child, to see the person behind, because uh, for her it was like he. Um, he had this mental thing, and uh, and he, they never succeeded in treating him or, or anything. And, uh, yeah, right. So it, I mean, it's it's the layers of craziness are are never ending. Um, it's like a nesting doll of craziness when it comes to Gigi yeah. Allen, his backstory. So his given name was Jesus Christ, and we'll get into the reasons for that uh, yeah. in a, in a bit. She eventually changed his name to Kevin. Yeah. There was. There's talk in the documentary of maybe there was a literal diagnosis. If not, there was this belief that there was a sort of split personality. It seems yes, yes. It's very, very, very important to Arlita, far less important seemingly to the brother Merle, yeah. that there were two distinct people. There was the public figure of, of, yeah. of almost like a Ziggy Stardust that was exactly. Gigi Allen exactly. that belonged to the world but his yes. core but his core essence was Kevin and she swore he would come to the house he'd hang out at the pool he was a normal son when he didn't have to yeah. be that character do you believe as strongly as she does that the Kevin was really that alive and well because it seems to the rest of us that that's a mother who wants to believe that her kid is not Gigi Allen I don't know I I believe that um I think because this has happened before. I think you know, you want to be a rock star, and he became a rock star. And I think he got caught in the act, you know, because um, he had a pretty good act. It's a great act. 
he had a great act and 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 it had everything that rock and roll should have i mean i mean maybe the, i mean the shit thing is pretty a, a bit far carried maybe but um but he had a very i mean he said the the mark he, he set on punk music and rock and roll is like uh, i see like uh, that i mean you start with elvis and then of course he he should be on that timeline <laughs> You know, yes, because because Elvis was also like uh, doing some stuff down there that people were reacting to, but but I think he got caught in the act, and I think that uh, that that you know everybody wanted Gigi Allen, and 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 he uh, the the followers they were like he was like a god for many of uh, of the kids. So I think he got caught in the act, and 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 he he, he couldn't figure out how to how to get this uh, job he had working but i also think that he had um, that he had some mental stuff yeah but you do suspect that she's right there was a beating heart of kevin at the core of him to the end i think so yeah and it's also very important to her to believe that he was not just a freak show that he possessed genuine artistic talent now you were the first person i've ever met who actually connects to the music i I'll, I'll frankly concede i was not expecting you to say that she Come okay, on, go ahead. listen to it it's okay, because I will. Mm-hmm. you have to understand i listen to everything okay i got everything all the music he made start out with the, with the, his country sessions yes he, he started to make some country music in uh uh, in the early 90s mm-hmm. which i had not heard and which is featured in the documentary yeah that's pretty cool i i, I really like that and and he has something to tell uh, something deeper than than just the aggression i mean but, so uh, at, at the end the mother arlita is responding to the the band is still performing murder junkies and she <laughs> even says this music is is terrible <laughs> and the music is carrying on the the legacy of her son who she has now spent the entire movie insisting had had talent do you so you believe that he has talent do you believe that she believed that he had talent or again was that the mother desperately wanting to believe that her son wasn't just shit smear gg allen I think when she talks about talent, she talks about the kids, you know, because they, early on they were making music. So, so, so she was maybe in the kitchen and she heard uh, like a guitar playing and some drums. Gigi was very good at the drums and mm-hmm. and Alita, she liked the she liked beat music and uh, you know rock and roll. So I I think she heard it and uh, and she said, oh, well, it sounds fine. When they were small, I don't, yeah. I don't. And so, so I just think it's a mother, you know, look on her boy and, and she, she hears and, okay, they can play something. It sounds uh, more than just children having fun, you know. I see, I see. I, I, yeah, that, that's yeah. A, so I think well, it's well that said. thing there. So <clears throat> Merle is uh, shown in the documentary. He lives, I think, here where I am in Los Angeles, and he yeah. lives inside a home that is a Gigi Allen shrine, and he spends his days selling Gigi Allen themed <laughs> yeah. merchandise. Uh, you show him collecting his own feces and painting with it. Uh, yeah. And so he's going to sell that. The murder junkies have a, a drummer who's in a way worthy of his own documentary. I was not familiar with performs nude has a, a, yep. a, 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 a penis of Gigi Allen esque dimensions himself. <laughs> and, and is now an, an aged man who puts drumsticks up his ass, and Merle is yeah. shown encouraging him to sell those, not just give them away. Yes. So Merle is essentially the the Gene Simmons of 
shock punk. <laughs> yeah. On camera, he does not acknowledge the uh, the tackiness of of the way that he lives his life and the way that he shills his brother's legacy. Did he get into that at all off camera? No, I think no. I I, I think that um, I think that this is Merle's world, and uh, this is Merle's personality. And uh, you, 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 I mean, I don't think Merle is not like. Uh, he, he, he didn't change from 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 the small city uh, a kid he was i mean th this is his world and he, he he did very good i mean he came from nothing and and they were very poor and the, the their father was insane and yes. so i think th and i think he likes the, this life i mean it's a great life i wasn't aware of Gigi's backstory i guess it stands to reason that almost inevitably when someone lives their life that extreme there is an origin story that is just as extreme it would be too over the top for the setup for a horror movie they're living in a log cabin without electricity or running water the father again has named him jesus christ based on a religious vision that he's had and um is doing unspeakable things to the mother arlita and to top it all off has dug a hole in the basement of their um, of their cabin that he tells Arlita is where he's planning on putting the family when he murders them. Yes. Did Merle get into at all? Because Gigi's not around to talk about that upbringing beyond what's in the film. Did Merle reflect at all? Did Arlita reflect at all on the horrors of the the situation that she put her children into and that she had to extract them from? I think that um, the. The way I wanted, I wanted to tell that story, you know, very much from Alita's perspective, also her, her emotional perspective, and this means that um, I, I, I didn't like, uh, I, I didn't go on and asking and asking and asking. I just started her up, and she, she told, she told the story, so we totally understand what happens. But I think that the way she says it and, and, and the way she, you know, we see her around uh, telling this story says uh, very much about how it was. Because I think that, I mean, this is a mother, you know, she, of course, it's, it's, it's a huge guilt. Why didn't she leave that man? Why didn't she just, I mean, way earlier, this was 10 years, you know, and of course, the, I, of course, a mother. You know, when I have kids, and and and, and I mean, it's whoa, it's 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 big stuff inside you. When, when because she said I was young, what could I do? I, I didn't. I was stupid. I was, you know. And she lived in a time where women were, you know, she was forced to marry that man. And uh, I mean, a, a woman was not like as much worth as a man i mean so um, but she had guilt of course she had and and, and of course she, she also was like my god did, was it my fault that kevin became like that and i mean so um i i was very satisfied with her because it took some time you know to get close to this story and i was very satisfied with the, the way she told it with the, with some respect also, but she, I mean, um, I think the way that she reacts when we go back to the grave, I mean, there, there you have it all, I think, because she's, she's like, 
she haven't been there for a long time and she goes back and 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 it's I don't know I think every everything goes up when she says I want to be with Kevin I want to be with Kevin it's like um you know she want to be close to him in death so, I mean everything right. everything uh, I, I think it's all set somehow but not directly that's right. That's right. Well, I, I don't want to spoil the ending of the film. It's very powerful, but I think what it shows is that throughout Gigi Allen's life, she felt this pure primal motherly instinct to hold him yes. and protect him from the world. And he was so. he was out in the world doing the Gigi Allen thing. She obviously could not do that, but yeah. in, in death, she might actually finally be able to yeah, because- be with him and protect him. Yes, it, because it's like, I mean, what do you have kids? I do. I have two kids. I think, and I have two kids. I think what we would have done would just leave everything and go out there and get them. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, just, just I mean, find find them. Uh, if, if you know that, okay, he lives. The, the kid lives like a homeless. He's totally fucked up. He's, I mean, whoa. Right, right. But if you. You, we all know people or know stories of people where maybe a kid, even a good kid from a you know quote unquote good home, gets involved with drugs or something like that. Yes. And it's not yes. on television when we were growing up. It might have been as simple as going and finding and getting them off know, the street I and know, then setting I them know, up. But even, even had she gone and done that, he would have left again because he was sure, sure. You know, sure. Um, what are your memories of that? I think it's it's just about the final scene before the band performance. Um, she's yeah. talking to someone off camera about you know her vision for what life will be like after after death. I I assume that's you that she's talking to. Yes, yes. What are what are your memories of being in the room? That's got to be. Um, is that the end of filming, or does that just sort of come up along the way? That's got to be a very charged emotional moment to be a part of. Yeah, but I mean it's a. <clears throat> I, um, uh, because what was special about this film is that we come from Denmark and we go to, to, to the U.S. I mean, it's, we use a lot of money on, on, on traveling and living over there. So, so, so what was difficult on, on the islands was that, um, you know, I somehow had to make her go through some emotions while we were there and filming. Yes. So, so you could say that, um, uh, Asking her to go back to the grave. I mean, I couldn't. I, I of course started out early saying, "I would like to have a scene where we go back to the grave," and 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 she was like, "Ha ha, that that will be in your dreams or something." But 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 you know, we got closer and closer, and and then she said, "Okay, I can go there." And I think when we went there, I was like, I mean, we had connected, and she understood that. Uh, okay, this film is also about your life and 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 what it meant to you that your son became gg allen so um i, I mean so we went there and she she, she just um she just i mean she got emotional from from the beginning and but i'm there but but i mean we always take care of the people but when we're filming i mean we're filming so of course yeah but um, yeah 
I saw online that there was some resistance to this film from the hardcore G.G. Allen fans, maybe people who had responded to the, yeah, the, yeah. the Todd Phillips documentary. What was the nature of the the blowback against your film from those people? Oh, I think it's very... Um, I think it's... I knew from the start that I wanted to make a, a film about a family. And... Um, you know, I also have, I have, I have, you know, like the, there was this a documentary about this Danish beat writer. He was a, po a beat poet, and I love him, and I have a lot of his books, and I have his uh, his uh, his pipe, his uh, his pipes, and I'm I'm collecting his stuff. And this documentary was like just. Uh, was like telling all the things that I did not wanted to hear. I knew he drank, but it. But I was, uh, I didn't want to get the star that he was drinking and he was fucking up the, you know, the life of the, the, the wife and the children and all that. So I can relate to that, that, that it's, it's not always nice to have your heroes like, um, get the full story, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so you think, think that G.G. Allen's fans didn't want to see the human toll that his being G.G. Allen had on his mother? I think it's, um... I mean, when the mother says that Gigi, he he probably had these split personalities. He tried to help, and a shrink looked at his letters and stuff like that. It's like, oh, so so maybe he didn't. So 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 maybe the fans are saying, oh, so 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 what you're saying is that what I like is just his disease. So he's not like that for real or something. So but so I think it's, I mean. For me, it's always like there's always a reason for everything. I mean, I got I'm a huge Neil Young fan, and and when he he got divorced from from uh, what was his wife called? After, they've been together for thirty years, and then he right somewhat recently. Was, yeah, and while she was having cancer, he left her, and I was like a big fan of Neil Young, and I was like, what a what are you doing? This is not Neil Young. You're an old hippie. Why are you leaving your wife and she has cancer? I mean, so it's it's like when re reality starts to kick in, it's uh, I think our heroes, are, they can be uh, maybe a little bit too human somehow. I see. In, yeah. in the end, do you feel like Gigi Allen had any point or any meaning to his art, to his career, or ultimately yeah. was it was it just shock value? Was it extremity no, for the sake no. of extremity? I, I think that we live in a society that is, you know, aggressions and uh, and 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 like being a rebel and stuff. I I think I was, I, at least here in Europe, I think that um, you know, uh, feelings like aggression are like not seen as uh, as being good. Or, I mean, we have to be more and more controlled. So I think, so I think that, like, the, the room that G.G. Allen creates with, with all these feelings and all this hate and all this aggression, I, I think that is pretty cool to, for people to have room for that. I mean, then some people fight. I mean, they don't kill each other at a G.G. Allen show, but, but it's like they fight and, uh, and they're having fun with fighting and stuff like that. And, and I guess... Uh, after the show, they just show each other the bruises and have a beer. I mean, I don't know, but I think that the aggression thing is is pretty cool, you know, to 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 allow them to come through. I mean, and it's 
I mean, it's totally, um, uh, it's totally rock and roll somehow, you know, to have all these not so pretty motions to allow them to be shown. I get that. So, like, whereas, like, the purpose of horror films is to allow us to play with the emotions that are inside us, the, you know, primal yeah. fears that we have that don't have any outlets, so or roller coasters, for that matter. Gigi Allen yeah, is a, Gigi Allen yeah, is a yeah. space where we can indulge nihilism safely. Yeah, you you can say that, yes. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one more thing before I let you go. I know I'm, this is a 20-year-old movie, but in doing research for this, I came across this uh, documentary you made. I think it was the first full-length one that you did, the video diary of Ricardo Lopez. It's yes. an, ex- an extraordinary story that I, I didn't know anything about. If, if I knew about it at the time, I certainly don't recall it. For those who don't know, what is the story, and how did you? how were you able to get as much of that footage to use? That's... It's a story about a young man that um, he's suicidal, and he starts to uh, into the suicidal process. He starts to film himself, and uh, you know he he needs to go. It's a story about being suicidal and what happens when you're suicidal, uh, and and to like um, he likes the musician called Björk. And you could say in a psychological way to allow himself to kill himself, he needs to do something very bad, so he has to do it. And then he wants to send a a mail bomb to Björk. He wants to kill her uh, because uh, that will be, uh, and and that will be his call for killing himself. Okay, I see. So... It's a, almost along the same psychological lines as like suicide by police officer or something like that. As if yes, he, exactly. If he, if he has done something terrible to Bjork, then now all of a sudden he has to die, and that gives him the strength to push himself over the finish line and, and kill himself. Yes, yes. But but um, what I was interested in was like this suicidal process, and that is what was documented. Uh, and also a, a main reason for me, because if he had succeeded in it. Or even if the bump had worked, I mean, I, w- I would have second thoughts in making the film. But you see, uh, but, but the, I mean, um, the bump doesn't work and the liquid falls out of the bump, but still he mails it. So, and, and, and when I saw that, it was like, okay, this is a film about a, a guy that wants to take his life. It's a document on what happens inside people or what can happen inside the, that uh, suicide process where one part of your mind is thinking of okay i have to kill myself and the other part of the mind is like always negotiating with the, with with the side that wants to kill himself saying hey hey what about your mother what about there's more to life and you can have kids one day and blah 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 so so it's a film about what happens inside the mind of people that are thinking about suicide I see. And with that, I think I'm starting to see the through line in your work, talking about the Gigi Allen documentary, talking about that one, and talking about this project that you mentioned at the beginning of our interview. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for making time to talk to me about about all these things. It's a really wonderful documentary. I enjoyed it. I recommend it. The Allens All in the Family is the one I'm talking about. Best of luck with this current project. Thank you so much, Sammy Saif. Thank you so much. Take care.